Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Conservation Realist. I'm Dr. Tara Sayuri-Witty, and with me behind my computer is a remarkably cute ginger cat who is contentedly curled up, and hopefully will stay that way as I record this. All I can see is one of his hind paws and one of his little ears peeking out, and uh, I thought I would share this cute scene with you. But back to business, uh, today's conversation is with Tanda Koji. She's the founder of Myanmar Ocean Project and someone who I consider a, a good friend and someone who I really admire, um, both in terms of the work she's doing, but also just in terms of the person she is overall. Um, before I get too much into, into the preview of our conversation, I do want to take a step back and, and mention that despite last week's episode being about conservation marketing, I completely forgot to market this podcast. And um, I'm not particularly concerned with this becoming wildly popular, but I am putting some work into it and I, I know that the ideas shared are important and useful. And so I would really love for it to reach as many people um, as it would be helpful for. So if you would be so kind as to help me in that effort, please like, leave reviews on, on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, share, uh, and I'd really love to see some conversations start up on the Substack site. Uh, don't be shy. Uh, and I also appreciate all the feedback I've been getting so far, especially in the terms of, of personal messages. But yeah, if you'd be so moved as to help with that effort. I'd really appreciate it. Um, and of course, if you have the means to and, and feel so motivated, a uh, donation via the link in the Substack site would also be very much appreciated. So with that out of the way, um, I know I'm not the only one who's not comfortable with self-promotion, but must be done, I guess. So anyways, it's done. With that out of the way, um, I want to tell you a little bit more about Tanda and her work. But first, I need to give some context about what's going on in Myanmar. I do want to take this opportunity to give a bit of a trigger warning. If, especially if you're one of my friends in Myanmar listening, we're going to be talking a little bit about the realities of the coup and I just wanted to let you know, because I know it's it's difficult enough living the reality. Perhaps you don't necessarily need to hear about it when you're just listening to a podcast on conservation. So this and the two episodes after this are going to be Myanmar-focused. Uh, and uh, the reason for that, apart from my personal tie to the country, because I I, I lived and worked there for about two and a half years. Um, I just, I don't know how to say this without sounding overly emotional, but I'm absolutely appalled that the recent Time 100 list included Min Aung Lang, who is the, the military dictator who's overseeing this brutal, brutal military regime was included on that list of the 100 most influential people. Now, I understand that time says, oh, it doesn't mean that they're good influential. It just means that they're changing the world. But they don't really like say that explicitly next to the people who are objectively having a bad influence on the world. And dictators kind of thrive on that kind of recognition. And so I don't understand what the hell anyone was thinking putting his name on that list. Not only do people in Myanmar feel abandoned by the international community, but to add this, like to turn their suffering into some kind of intellectual exercise about what influence means, is just like it's beyond being out of touch. And so I just really feel that more people need to hear from the folks who are actually in Myanmar. 
and to hear about what's been lost from this coup. And yes, I know we're talking about conservation. We're not talking, we're not a human rights focused podcast, although of course human rights intersects with conservation. But for you to see that even in the realm of conservation, how much is being lost, like we need to get uncomfortable with that. And so this is one reason I've decided to put three episodes on Myanmar back to back. Um, I don't know what else to say, to say about that. I, I just got a little emotional. Um, so Myanmar, as many of you might know, was, was fairly shut off from the world for decades under an authoritarian military regime. It had this brief relative period of relative flourishing in the 2010s and that's a time when I was lucky enough to start working there and it was just a time of so much hope and so much excitement a lot of new projects coming in a lot of international support a lot of great opportunities for people in Myanmar it was just it was really exciting to be there um, and then of course the pandemic hit and and, and Myanmar being not a wealthy country with with fairly with very inadequate uh, healthcare systems in place. It was hit hard by the pandemic, not just in terms of the, the health impacts, and I don't know that we'll ever really know what those were, just because reporting wasn't particularly strong, but also uh, what it did to the markets in Myanmar, to the livelihoods in Myanmar. And then a year after that, um, in 2021, February 2021, the military staged a coup overthrowing the democratically elected government. And the military remains in control to this day. There are just absolutely brutal, uh, atrocious crimes being committed against civilians around the country, which is not necessarily new but the scope of it is is much greater. But um, some of my friends there will somewhat kind of lightheartedly call it COVID. Uh, just for a country to go through a coup in the middle of a pandemic, I mean, the impacts to the civilians, especially the most marginalized communities, um, have been severe. So that's a context in which Tanda and the Myanmar Ocean Project uh, are operating. Let's take a step back and, and introduce Myanmar Ocean Project a bit. Um, so Tanda came to marine conservation not having any formal training in, in related fields, but she was an avid diver. I mean, she's had, I don't know how many dives now, but last time I dove with her in 2019, she was at 600 and something. Uh, but she started volunteering, I believe, with the Marine Megafauna Foundation. And um, from there, you know, saw this problem of ghost gears and decided to do something about it. And that's how Myanmar Ocean Project was formed. So ghost gears are fishing gears that have been discarded or, or lost, just somehow abandoned, and still has the potential to be catching animals or damaging habitat on the seafloor and just kind of accumulating over time. So Myanmar Ocean Project works on that. They've organized, uh, and when I say they, it is quite a small team. It's, it's mainly just Tanda. Um, they've organized expeditions of volunteer divers to physically remove the gear. But more than that, you know, Tanda really wanted to understand the whole system around, okay, why is the gear being discarded in these places? And um, this is happening. Her her work has focused on the Miak Archipelago. And the, the reality is that the mainland, which is the only place that has the facilities for accepting waste or, and recycling it, um, is just too far for these boats to go. The cost of fuel to just bring a, a load of what is essentially trash is pretty prohibitive. So her team interviewed you know, the fishermen and the community members trying to understand, you know, what what are the drivers of this problem and what are possible solutions. And so now they're actually trialing these devices called MOP drops. So MOP is Myanmar Ocean Project. 
And it's it's pretty cool. It sees the basically these stations, these drop off stations, which are on pontoons that boats can go to and not have to go as far as the mainland and, and drop off their un, their unusable gear. And uh, if you want to donate to that endeavor, I'll have the link in the uh, the episode notes. Um, she's also been doing research on sharks and rays. And uh, there's also the Our Ocean, Our Home project, which is a collaboration making comics about marine life in Myanmar. And that link will also be uh, on the episode notes. Um, she and I first met at a, an, a workshop on integrated coastal zone management in Napidaw, which is the capital of, of Myanmar. And uh, yeah, she came up to me after my talk and was just very enthusiastic about asking me questions. And she was just one of those people who was like, well, obviously, now we're good friends. (laughs) Some more context on things that she and I mentioned in the conversation for those who aren't familiar with Myanmar. So Napidaw is the capital, as I mentioned. We mentioned Tanantari, Yakain, Mon, and Bago. And these are basically states and regions in the country. She mentions Lampi, which is a marine protected area in in Myanmar, and uh, also the Mokan, which are one of the local indigenous folks who uh, live in the Miak Archipelago, uh, among other ethnic groups. So our conversation really was about the realities that she's facing of, of doing the work she's doing in this pretty horrific context, and... Um, I know this was a longer introduction than normal. You're probably like, okay, can we can we hear from Tonda already? But I, I did want to make sure to give good background for everybody. This is a particularly fitting episode for our theme music, uh, which I'll break to now, which again is by three Myanmar musicians, Somo Twin, Ziantet, and Min Min. So please enjoy. <laughs> Well, thank you, Tanda, for your time today, um, especially after already giving a great interview to my brother for his podcast. I don't know how long ago that was now, a couple of years ago. That felt like a different time. Yeah. It was was just before the coup, so. Right. It's it's like a lifetime ago. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Um, Are you, you're in Yangon now or? Yes. Okay. I am in Yangon. I, yeah, I'm. Not spending as much time as I liked in the the field side, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, yeah. Well, there's yeah, there's some exciting updates from that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah cool. Um, so yeah, what I um, I wanted to talk to you for this podcast because, uh, as I mentioned in our communication about it, I really want to bring more nuanced, diverse, and grounded voices uh, to the broader conversation (laughs) about conservation. And um, I really am drawn to the work you do and your kind of story because you came to it not from a traditional background. And yet I feel like you're having a lot more impact than a lot of people who did come from it from that kind of formal conventional background. And also your working under highly challenging conditions. Um, It would have been challenging even without the coup, even without the pandemic, but both of them together at the same time is a lot to to handle. I think that that what impact is something I struggle with, like, because it is hard. And, And then every now and then you kind of pause and like, what, what, what kind of impact am I having is it worth pushing this much for um you know I think I mean I I, I when I'm calm I tell myself 20 years later I would look back and say you did great but in the middle of it 
it, it sometimes it doesn't feel like it. Sometimes it's just like you just go in with emotion because you feel the need to just push through it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of endeavors um, in conservation is, I think, one of those areas of work where it, it is long-term impacts in really complicated systems, right? So uh, it's hard to get those kind of short-term wins, as some people like to call them. Um, and even if you get those, there's always a question of how long they'll last. But um, I think for a, a small organization, I mean, how many how many people are involved in the Myanmar Ocean Project now? <laughs> I Last year I've had as an assistant. Um, mm-hmm. So, and then I have a an intern that's um, been helping me with social media. I mean, I do have board members. It's just they've mm-hmm. never really been heavily involved in day to day project um, right. dealings. They're more supportive of like paperwork and yeah. um, all the other stuff. Um, and I think that's the part that's isolating. Um, in a way, because it, it was already a little bit of an isolating field, but I I drew inspiration and motivation from people in 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 the field similar. But I think coming into the last two years with COVID and coup and the challenges just became really different. You don't, yeah, it doesn't always feel easy to talk about all of this with people outside the country anymore. So it, it became a little bit more isolating in that sense. Yeah. 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 It wasn't just about the fish anymore. <laughs> right. Right. And I definitely want to dig into that a little more um, later in the conversation um, because I think there's a lot that those of us who are based in the global north can stand to kind of really sit with and, and think about a little more closely in terms of how we engage with our collaborators who are from the global south, especially in countries that are going through particularly tough times. Um, but I'd love to hear kind of some of your thoughts of on how your own path to what you're doing now in conservation, you know, coming in let's say as an as an outsider, quote unquote, although I don't yeah. like the idea that there's insiders and outsiders. Um, how do you think that shapes the way you approach your work in the field? I started doing what I do, uh, like in terms of cleaning up ghost gear and all, mm-hmm. because I think I was the only one seeing the problem consistently on the skill I was seeing because I was diving a lot. Mm-hmm. And I did bring the problem to richer people and people with more in a position of more power and you know things set up and people literally just sort of brushed me off they were just oh yeah we'll do a beach cleanup like no 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 it's not a beach cleanup like this is really bad and um I had I was lucky enough to have conversations with friends who just said why don't you just do it yourself and then it's like, yeah, why not just do it myself? And that kind of snowballed. Um, it, it, it's, it's, I think the thing I was surprised to learn the most was coming into it that way. And I just thought, oh, okay, you know, other groups with a lot more relationships with communities and media are going to jump in and support in different ways. But it was sort of like suddenly it wasn't all combined. <laughs> it felt very different. It was like, oh, okay, so I have to figure it out. Yeah. Um, but I think I was also maybe more free to approach it how I saw best. Oh, yeah. I, I was free to make relationship with communities how I, like, how, however I wanted without any um, worrying about, I don't know. I don't know how to put it. Yeah. But um, it, it, it was, I still remember, I still remember the very first expedition thinking, you know, worrying about all the logistics about diving, the boats, the safety. And, and now I'm like, the things that concern me are so different from that first expedition where I just thought it's all about the diving. Mm. <laughs> like now, like I'm coming across kids 12, as young as 12 year olds working on boats now I'm coming across people trading 
drugs and seahorses and and bycatch and it's just the problem the context of everything I am doing my work in is just like it's not I, I just wanted to pick up nets but <laughs> it, it, yeah. it's it, yeah become a very a lot more complicated yeah well I think that's one thing I mean even the way we met was you came up to ask me questions after I gave a presentation and um that's something I've noticed about you, Tanda, is you are really observant and eager to learn. And I think that that might be part of maybe you don't have any kind of preconceived arrogance that you know everything already. You know, you are you're coming into this sector and you're just open to, um, yeah, to, to learn and to see what's actually going on. And that's not something that I see particularly often, actually. So it's, it's, it's nice to have seen you use it um, in your work and to see your projects grow because of it. I, I think I think my excitement when I saw you first was like, ooh, a girl. She's a girl. <laughs> it's a girl. <laughs> it was like in the middle of all the die bones. Is so it was refreshing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Exactly. Um, and that was such a weird, uh, Napidaw is always kind of a strange yeah, uh, parallel universe, I feel like. Uh, we were in this ballroom with ridiculous flower arrangements and chandeliers talking about integrated coastal zone management. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, re I really appreciated even then you, you actively seeking out connections and, and sharing experiences. Um, and I think that, I mean, my, from my observation, I think that's one reason why you've been able to get things, keep things going under challenging conditions and, and expand what your project looks at and um, even get to these, I forget what you call them, the, the, the collection spots that you're piloting now. Mop drops. <laughs> Mop drops. We've been making up songs um, with that name, but yeah, maybe another time. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, have, I'll have a musical episode. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so what do you think, uh, do you think being a small organization has allowed you to be more nimble and effective? Kind of like you said, you're not bound by maybe large organization inertia. Um, what else I mean, do you think? I would, mm -hmm. I would like a balance. Like I would like a full-time team to support me with accounting or paperwork. Because mm -hmm. all of these things I find myself doing myself, somebody to help me with proposals and plan strategically. And, you know, and, and I am free to manage different aspects of things. But, um, but at the same time, like I think, on at least until now because it's just it's kind of always been a small thing even when we had divers temporarily i am able to manage our team's relationship with the community we engage with mm -hmm. and i don't think that's the same can be said about larger organizations um that they're not i mean i don't know how important that should be but to me at this point it's still fairly important because i'm i am dealing with different communities where they have not very nice perceptions of a few different organizations they've had dealings with, you know, the the size, I mean, the fact that it's a small thing allows me to really still see what's still going on. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's one of the things I saw. Um, I didn't do much work in Tenantari, but I was present at some meetings and observing interactions between some large organizations and some of the local CSOs. And uh, even the difference, even the gap between what the larger organizations bosses based in Yangon and abroad, uh, their perceptions and their decisions were even kind of disconnected with what the local staff. Yeah, because the local staff, I think culturally, they just don't say everything back as they should be. Mm -hmm. um, they filter it through what they think should be said, how, what they think mm -hmm. should be heard. Um, and that has a lot to do, I mean, culturally, that's just been saying yes as well. You know, it's not like if somebody says we need to do this, nobody's pushing back and saying, no, this is enough because this is, this, oh, I don't know, like 
there's a lot of examples like that where like um and 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 also if the the language skill is not very strong it's usually the person with the strongest language skill decide how it's translated and i see that unfold mm-hmm. and i'm like well that's not what they're saying but that's what's being communicated and um yeah, so I think there's a lot of nuances that comes into how everything is being communicated, and um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think my weakness would be like I don't know how to speak government. Every time I have to deal with a government department, it's just like somebody just I, I will buy you lunch. I just just do this for me. <laughs> I don't know what they're saying. I, I, am I supposed to read between the lines? Is this what it is? <laughs> right. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, that was actually kind of one of my weaknesses too. Unfortunately, that was part of my job description while I was there. Um, Do you, um, well, let me just take a step back. Um, In terms of engaging with the communities, I mean, you're from a different part of Myanmar than where these communities are, but I, I can definitely see how it's really beneficial that you at least speak Burmese and you're familiar with the culture, uh, you know, I was always hindered by the fact that my Burmese never got very strong because sadly I didn't have a lot of field work and I was relying on people to always translate to me. Um, luckily, I often had more than one person so I could kind of triangulate between their different translations. But um, how do you think your experience working with the communities is different than someone like me, for example? I don't think, I mean, it would be a whole lot of difference. Mm. They might treat you differently because you're a foreigner. Um, I think, I mean, I remember the anxiety, like going to my first site, um, expedition site, because, you know, okay, we're going to this village. Like, I have never been there. I don't know anybody there. And I don't know how they're going to perceive me. I show up with a bunch of foreign divers and I'm like no drinking you don't do this with you know um uh, it's like because you think you're going to a tropical island but it's really like you show up at the island you could already see the waste management problem just instantly Mm. um yeah I think but um I settled in very quickly mainly because the community was so welcoming and I think there was a layer of because of that social hierarchy of people, you know, people holding their badge of, I, I am in this position, I work for this organization. I, none of that sort of came with me. So I think maybe mm-hmm. there was a sense of less intimidation with them trying to approach me, to talk to me, um, to suss out what I'm doing as well, that that, that layer was gone. Um, so I, in, in, in that way, like I, I knew very quickly I could take advantage of this. Like I didn't have to hold formal workshops to be getting information out of them because that's not really how you get information out of community as well because just the the, the village leaders get to speak you know no, no one else is speaking and um so in in that regard I was able to just be at a location and have that communication flowing and and yeah that's really cool that's such a good point uh that again, these formal workshops. There's, there's not that necessarily that many people in a community who are comfortable speaking up, and even if they personally want to speak up, uh, there might be social pressure for them to not leave their voice. I think that's a, that's the thing because uh, my assistant and I, we, we've been doing Gilnet surveys the last year, um, and what we've interviewed a hundred something um, Gilnet fishermen. And the same survey is used in other countries as well, like say Thailand, to to understand gillnet loss rate, blah blah blah. But and I listened to one of their presentations one time, and they're like, "Oh, this is this is what they catch. Oh, this is what they throw away. There's not much." And like, and I'm looking at it, screaming lies, <laughs> lies. I mean, it, it, it. And then I'm thinking, it's maybe it's not necessarily because. Um, the the presenter is not showing the true numbers of what is lost in the ocean or what is being caught back from the ocean. But it might also be because maybe he's a university professor. I don't remember, but maybe you're you work in the governmental department, and the fishermen not going to be truthful with you with what they are finding. I, I, and and I think 
with all of these things, especially in an Asian community where that social hierarchy plays a huge role, um, I was so glad that I, the 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 kid I train is from the village and his parents are boat mechanics and you know he's super comfortable on the boat and the fishermen are super comfortable with him and you know they're cutting up dolphins in front of him and I, and I'm getting so much information out of all of this because he's perceived as not threatening mm-hmm. um yeah <laughs> that's I mean that's such an important realization um and it reminds me at that same workshop where we met I remember some kind of higher-ups uh academics or government I forget which uh sector they represented but they were just very comfortably saying very offensive things about community members <laughs> Like, they don't understand, they're ignorant. (laughs) And I was like, oh, my God. People say, oh, these bookings are stupid. Or somebody will say something like that. Um, And these are people in positions of power um, Mm -hmm. that can make policies. And, um, yeah, and I remember very quickly when I started, I'm like, oh, I have to work with the fishermen and educate them. It's like, no, 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 no. Mm -hmm. I don't need to educate the fishermen. I just need to help them find solutions. I need to educate the the people in positions to do something because they're the one. I, I mean, I went to a shock and ray planning meeting, regional meeting once, and the Yangon, some some like Yangon governmental person got up to speak about sharks and said, Oh, it's actually a good thing. There are less sharks, so where there's more fish for us to eat. Oh, no. <laughs> and he actually said that. And now looking around, like, is anybody translating when he said back to the people who are organizing this event? <laughs> oh my goodness yeah and that's I mean that's difficult because you can't you can't publicly be like that's wrong you know again in the interest of being polite and and kind of respecting local local norms um that's funny though um so speaking of of uh government officials as as we've already kind of mentioned it's just past the two-year anniversary, the very sad anniversary of the military junta, the military coup. Um, And that's on top of the country already suffering for about a year from the pandemic. So um, how has this affected you in your work, both in like your own personal bandwidth, as, as well as like the practicalities of what you're able to do? Um, oh, I feel like I aged twenty years in the last two. <laughs> I mean, I'm laughing about it now, but it's it's it. Yeah, I I mean, it restricted physically what we are able to do a lot. Um, for one, and it you know suddenly you have no governmental body to engage with. Um, right. and communities are suffering so. You know, whenever somebody pushes for, uh, we want to make sure 200 community members come to the cleanup. I'm like, you can't demand this at this time. Like, what what are you even thinking demanding this? Um, yeah. <laughs> I forget, I, I use, I mean, it, I'm, I'm working on it. I get triggered so easily. <laughs> <laughs> are you stupid? <laughs> um, <laughs> um, I mean, that, and then, in terms of funding, you know, the pool has dried up, even if there is, like being able to withdraw and use money has become very challenging. Um, yeah, so there's a few sort of different aspects of all of this to, that made it, diff- I mean, on top of the fact that, like, I still don't like writing proposals. Right. <laughs> um, hey, Conservation is already hard to yeah. kind of keep working in if you're in a small organization. It's already very challenging. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so it's it, 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 it's yeah it's a it's a few different things challenging things i i did a um a shock and ray report in yakai in 2021 mainly because in 2021 yakai was the only kind of safe place to be able i was able to travel to um and there was a part of me that felt like i i just wanted to take be taken away from news of human beings being harmed and I think I'm going to animals being harmed oh yeah (laughs) but I mean like looking back now I'm very proud of the work I did like I in such a short time in very 
I was speaking to somebody and they were like, oh, this is this is like great work. You, you know, it's, it's valuable because it's not a lot of information in, in this aspect in the country. And um, and then I remember like nobody knows there were guns pointed at me <laughs> during the trip. Nobody knows I stumbled mm-hmm. into an IDP camp, to, you know, to learn one of like the, the, the things. That, I mean, I knew the IDP camps exist prior to all of this, like knowledge you know that it is there but to be actually physically being there and not realize you were in one until you were speaking to somebody it was it was yeah I've had like a lot of experience the last two years that I was not anticipating right in the scope of I just wanted to pick up nets <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> cool. um I mean, I know even for the Gulf of Matama project and the Myanmar Coastal Conservation Lab, you know, we work with youth in Bago region and Mon State. And unfortunately, we had to um, kind of accept that we really had no way of engaging with the, the youths in Bago region for a long time because crossing those interstate lines wasn't really feasible and internet connection was really down for a while. I know it's not back to, to, to normal, but even if it is feasible, I think, especially for young people working, it's quite dangerous because they're the target of harassment. Like I get my phone searched every now and then, but um, I'm not a young 20 something boy that they're targeting, you know, so Mm -hmm. I, I, I don't get harassed as much as they would. Um, and I think that's the thing, like, people need to understand that, like, people on the ground are the ones who are supposed to be making the call about what is safe and what is not and what, what is feasible and what is not. Like, I think, um, because it's, it's, it's a fluid, like, situation, you know, I, I will take the opportunity if it seems safe to do something, but if it's not, then I will step back, um. And you kind of have to just trust the person on the ground to do to make the right call and not push or I don't know. Yeah. Like it's a swing between, you know, people still pushing for things and people going, We're not gonna fund anything anymore because it's too complicated. And yeah. it doesn't and it's too much effort for people to sort of try to balance in the middle and try to understand and accommodate. Because mm-hmm. for I think for a lot of people like that there's stuff somewhere else that's easier that they could find and they could still write pretty reports or uh, I don't know. <laughs> pretty reports, I love that. Yeah, well, uh, this kind of brings me to another thing I wanted to talk to you about was if you're comfortable sharing, just like I've seen you mention rant about snippets of conversations with external partners or donors. Was it someone was like, for the sake of my blood pressure, let's not work in war-torn countries? That was extremely insensitive i remember yeah i think i mean <laughs> i i think in normal circumstances i would have been angry and then brush it off but i think because i i, I forget that i am in this really volatile um like tensed situation that i'm working on in that context like um and that my emotions are building up on top of that, not on a blank slate. That okay. I, I, it's you know, that I, I need to allow myself to sometimes just sort of lose it. <laughs> um, but because <laughs> I think, I mean, I, I find myself in situation where I'm just like so angry with so many different things, and then like a couple of months later, I look back and oh, that was the week you know the activists were being hung. Right. Yeah. Or, or things like that. So you, you kind of remember it's not always just about what you're angry at. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's a lot to, that's a lot to, to absorb. And like, it's been heartbreaking for me over a year, you know, just seeing it. And I'm removed from the situation geographically and I'm not from Myanmar. So I can't imagine, you know, how, how painful it is to see it when it's actually your home country and you're there. Um, and I think, I mean, yes, you can say obviously that your, your reaction to these kinds of insensitive comments is, is, you know, influenced by this broader context, but that's also something that these external partners should be realizing, right? 
like they should be extra careful with what they say. I, I very quickly like realizing that people because I think coming into this like you, you look up to these huge organizations as the, you know the ones that are you think they're em- empathetic towards people's struggle and you they're making the world a better place and but that's just not the case these are just people getting their salary and that's uh, most of the time that's it like they're just working for their salary their paycheck is not really you know they know very little they want to know very little about the community they're engaging in um and that's that's a sad fact i i, I feel like and that's just how the world is yeah i mean that that was very disillusioning for me also as i kind of dealt more and more into that that realm and um, I mean, you spoke earlier about how communities you work with have mixed, probably more negative feelings about organizations they've worked with in the past. And that's why, you know, there's this kind of removed and arrogant attitude that like, oh, this is, a, you know, this is something we can fix and impose our ideas on. And we don't actually have to get invested in it really emotionally ourselves as long as we have, as you said, a pretty report at the end of it. <laughs> um, but yeah, I was so angry when I saw I saw what that person had had written to you. Um, so maybe to I, I hope you have something to say on this side. Is there something that's been helpful that kind of external parties, foreign collaborators or, or donors have been able to do? I, I will say this, um, like there's been a few conservation women, yourself included, that I've met <laughs> the last year or so that has been instrumental in making sure I still have work and making sure I still have opportunities, making sure I could still explore different things. Like, um, And they're not people I've worked with before, like... You know the, the the people I worked with for the comics. I've never, I've, I haven't met them in person. You know, it, it's just something. Hey, I think this will be a good idea. We will, I will, I want to help. And then, you know, I mean, obviously, like I, I have to sort of, I already have an idea of you know what Myanmar needs in terms of education, and then somebody else is stepping and helping with this. And then it's the same with like the. The, the projects I do with the kids with um, NUS and the, the, the youth environmental camp, like the mm-hmm. Singaporean, you know, wonderful lady who just like, I don't even know how I was introduced to her, but she kept throwing like, Hey, do you want to do this? Hey, do you want to do? And, and I don't think people realize how much these means to me, like to, for somebody to, to sort of feel like somebody's still kind of looking out. And, and it was the same with, I mean, Mira, you know, she she was super supportive. Um, I mean, and, and things like that. I think, um, like, I am really just as much as they are, <laughs> or like, you know, re- relationships that I, that has made me kind of angry. But there are also a lot of these wonderful things that kind of just showed up to help me when I really needed it in some ways. Like, mm-hmm. so yeah, I mean, it's it's. I have to remember it's not all like <laughs> high <Yeah>. blood pressure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm I'm really glad to hear that, and I had actually forgotten about the comics because it seems like you've been doing so much, but the comics are so cool. And <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I that's the other thing. I've been so hard at myself. Like last year, you know, I had to do all these reports, and my father was hospitalized, and and uh-huh. I I go through these like months where I'm completely spent like so it it takes like every two three months I do need to take myself out to recharge if I don't get to do that I I I joke and say it's like a deflated air mattress it's just it's just not working anymore I need to (laughs) (laughs) um and um I I was yeah it gets it gets super challenging I I do I have I am very grateful I think I think yeah, mm-hmm. with 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 people that have um, supported a lot of the work I still do, and that the fact that I have done more different projects the last year 
than when I started under the good year. <laughs> yeah. It's like 2019, I thought I was freaking out and busy because I just started, but I was just doing handling one big project throughout the whole year. Now I'm like, there's lots of little things I am trying to manage and there's a lot of little things. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 But it's, yeah, it's really impressive to me how much you've been able to do actually. Um, like se seriously, like I see these updates. I'm like, Oh my gosh, Tonda is doing so much. <laughs> like She's unstoppable. It's been really, yeah, it's been pretty uh, astounding to see, to be honest. That's um, nice. Doesn't feel like it, but that's nice. <laughs> I think I'm too focused on what I can't do and not what I have been doing. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's why I, I haven't really celebrated. Um, I will. <laughs> I, I, hope, I hope you have the, you, you take the chance, take the time to do that uh, because it is definitely deserved. Um, yeah, it is. It's difficult to see kind of the as you said, kind of that swing between extremes of foreign responses to the coup in terms of what projects they can support or feel they can support on the ground. And um, I think it's almost more important to support local conservation groups yeah. because the government agencies are not functional. I mean, yeah. not that they were able to, yeah, go ahead, sorry. There should be more support, I mean, like if I can prove that I am capable of completing something with actual impact, um, yeah, they, they, you know, it shouldn't be, we can't support the government, so we're not supporting anyone. Right. Um, yeah. Exactly. Like, and, 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 you know, it, it's like, I wish I had the money right now to be training divers. You know, that's another thing. Like, how long before we can have foreign divers to come help with these things? How long before... Mm -hmm. You know, I, I, like I am so grateful for my my uh, my assistant, but I, I I wish other than the work he is doing for me, I wish I could be training him for so many other things. Right. Um, you know, I will go around. I, I will be squeezing people for funds eventually, but like <laughs> I wish that was like. But if I were a big organization, I have funds sitting. I mean, you know, like to I don't know. I, I, I am envious of that sometimes. It's just I, I'm constantly struggling to yeah. to fund different things, um, which is why I also think about, like, impact, like how meaningful is the impact I have on the community or the ocean? Um, is it not big enough? But I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know what the right way to measure is. <laughs> um <laughs> You know, if, if you just made one person's life different, is that enough? Or do you need to make a difference with the whole community? Or, um, yeah. That's an amazing question, actually. Um, I think, I mean, I, I think that the kind of work you're doing, which has a lot of thoughtful community engagement and a lot of youth-focused engagement, is really... Uh, uh, a sustainable way to have kind of sustained. I use the word sustainable twice. It's a good way to have sustained impact, you know, because like in the trainings I do, I did with the, the Myanmar team when I was there in person, I was like, I can't teach them everything I've learned in my ridiculous number of years training as a researcher in like the, the matter of months I have to work with them. Right. So it's basically how do I leave these people who are, who are trying to learn from me with things that they can use and apply really broadly. So like, I don't need them to know specific scientific um, technical skills. I'd rather have them be able to think of a system like we've talked about kind of with your work when you're looking at the, the, the gears, like why are people abandoning their gear and what are the alternatives and what do people feel like about it and where are they coming from? Uh, and, and, um, just kind of understanding that I think is really important. And I think the work you do with youth, you're inspiring them to care about their oceans, about the coasts and teaching them about real problems. And that impact is going to snowball more than I think you could anticipate. You know what I mean? 
I hope. I think, yeah, it's it's even in 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 a good normal circumstance. This is sort of stuff I imagine every conservationist struggle with. You know, what sort of impact uh, am I having? And mm-hmm. um, and I do want to really invest in like sort of sustained so local sustained local I think I just figured out like this is what I'm doing it's sustained sustained local solutions it's not just you know this will exist as long as the donor money is there is not the solution um I I, yeah so it it has to be a a way where they can look after themselves and it it is set up that way um so I, I I do try to think of things in that term um Mm -hmm. when I'm like trying to plan something um yeah (laughs) yeah um I think that's really insightful and actually something a lot of highly trained conservation professionals don't get unfortunately it's like oh we have money for this project we're going to do all this great stuff and not going to really think about what's going to happen five years down the line after we're gone you know, I'm forced to think about being abandoned already one year into setting up an organization. So I think it, it's a good way to learn that, like anything. I mean, you know, people come in, oh, we're going to do this. But like, yeah, but up, what, what, you know, how mm-hmm. long is this going to last? What afterwards, you know, what other structural support are you putting in place? Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's too bad that those realizations come under such stressful conditions. Um, But yeah, those are critical things to think about. Um, And I I think one thing that kind of surprised me coming into Myanmar, and even still now, is how little work has been and is being done on the coastlines in Myanmar. So, you know, but, you know, you guys are are really um, operating in a very difficult set of circumstances uh, and it's really important that you're able to do what you're doing because there's so few of you yeah yeah and everybody's sort of coming in this was there's so much little information about this yes and you know maybe you should keep supporting (laughs) no i mean it's nuts like you could go do interviews along pretty much any stretch of coastline and learn so much that hasn't been recorded yet it's Actually, it would be fascinating and really exciting under different circumstances. And there still is that element to it. But the reality is, how how are people going to be able to do that now? Yeah. So um, I know this is uh, a large, fairly open question, um, but I'm just curious, and maybe it depends on your particular mood today. (laughs) What do you think? What's your outlook um, for the future of conservation in Myanmar? let's say, future of marine conservation in Myanmar? I think I'm only thinking as far as the next six months. Mm-hmm. Like, I can't really think that far right? in some on some way, like in, in some level. But having said that, like, I've engaged with more young people the last two years than I did before. Like, and, and I am extremely encouraged by you know the the bright ambitious like minds I come across um but at the same time obviously it it it's very quickly followed by sadness that all, all their opportunities are taken away and, mm-hmm. um they're all struggling now and so in, in that context I don't think I'm, I'm going to be like detached enough to really see or plan five ten years down the track um I'd like to think it'll be better um yeah it will definitely be better i think it's just a matter of how quickly we get there mm-hmm. and 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 how much of it i get to see <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah i mean that is one thing that's that i really loved about working there was the the young people are so like fired up to do something you know and um it was so exciting to be there you know, during that kind of brief 
flourishing, where so many opportunities were opening up and pretty much anything you could think of, at least in our realm of, of coastal conservation, was something new and exciting, yeah. and something that like would really pave a new avenue. Uh, and so it, it has been really hard to see that kind of shut down. But the young people I, I interact with anyways, they're, they're still so driven, and, you know, and there's that passion there. And that's so important. Like both the the kids I work with now, I mean the kids are in they're in their twenties. Um, but like the boy, for example, like he's just so keen to learn more. He's just so keen to like to be given more opportunity. And then I and I remember trying to interview a few people for this position. And there were people who've worked for larger organizations who on paper are more qualified. But then they also wanted to be paid the same way they were paid in a larger organization. Right. <laughs> um, now I'm not getting paid that way. <laughs> um, but, but you know, like but the ones I work with, like they're they're like, no, I want more work. I want to learn more. They don't mind, you know, the the fact that I can't pay very well. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, it's like you know, I don't mind having rich white gap year kids coming to volunteer because they can afford it um but if i'm working with kids from villages who whose parents have to fish for a living i want to make sure i actually pay them properly um i think yeah that's the that's the thing i i I, that's also part of the reason i i struggle to grow because i can't really i think if i let more people volunteer maybe I can have more but I, I don't at this if I'm taking letting them work for free then I want I would want to make sure they're learning um as much as they could but then that would mean more management from my part to rather than you know it's easier for me to sort of delegate the tasks between what who I can pay and to myself right um but you know what I mean like if you're managing yeah. a team of volunteers like that you really want to make sure they're getting something out of this experience. That's a whole other managing sort of aspect of the whole experience. And I don't think I have that in me right now to manage that. That's a lot of work. You know, I mean, that's putting more focus on the teaching side of it. And, you know, that takes a, you know, you want to pay attention to systematically, what kind of skills are they gaining and what kind of experiences are they being exposed to? And, yeah, I, I totally understand not wanting to burden a volunteer with admin tasks, which is yeah. you know, often where a lot of the help is, is needed. And um, I've also kind of felt the weight of we've trained so many fantastic young interns. It's not right for them to keep going on an intern salary, but there's not enough jobs out there in this sector for them to have a career so I've also kind of felt a bit of that that moral weight of like oh my gosh like I I was part of getting these youths excited about conservation and they spent months years building skills in it and we were applying for grants but at a certain point I kind of have to sadly shrug my shoulders and be like uh hopefully you can come back to conservation at some point when there's more opportunity but I understand people having to leave and get other jobs. Yeah, I, 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 I do try to tell people like, oh, you know, I have, I wanted to study marine biology, but I have to study medicine. Or like, people will say things like that, but and I will remind them that like conservation is not just about saving fish. Like you can be working with the community, to, you know, you could be doing other things to 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 save the ocean so to speak um to not get discouraged that they're not immediately working with fish guts or something i don't know (laughs) um because yeah i think i remember the first time i visited lampies after the coup i i was so sad like heartbroken to see how how it is there was I went to, you know, see the gold mining where it was happening. Oh. Um, you know, I can hear the sound of trees being chopped with electric sword, like yeah. every evening. You know, the, the, the one place I used to think was really nice. Um, it's all in shambles. People are drunk. There's 
drugs. Oh my God. Um, and it, that was, that was the only time I felt like, why am I, why am I doing this? Like I should be doing something else if I really want to have an impact for conservation or the community, <laughs> you know, right. like why, why am I still, I, I, that was the only time I kind of felt like, I, yeah, why, like, why am I still doing this? <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's tough. Yeah. But I think, you know, I think one of the reasons you've been able to get so much done, you know, on top of your own personal traits of being driven and, and dedicated and working very hard and having good ideas is that you actually did start with a very focused area, right? You started on ghost gears and there's so much connected to that, but having that kind of focal point and branching out from that, I think might be a way that helps you stay a little grounded <laughs> because if we're all trying to work on everything at the same time, we're all going to be spread too thin. Right. So focusing, having that kind of um, almost courage to focus on one area and then trust that your impact there, you can have a, a more meaningful impact by focusing there um, and, and trust that that will contribute to overall a better picture for conservation and communities. I, I think, I mean, I, I've come across opportunities to, I mean, not opportunities. I, I see opportunities to do a lot of other things, like within the field work, you know, I yeah. see a lot of bycatch happening, a lot right. of, you know, like a, a lot of additional things that, that could be touched on. But then I'm like, okay, until I can grow my team properly, I, I don't think I should be pursuing all of all of them, maybe one or two. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, just hearing you talk about the bycatch, I'm like, I want, I, I want to, I want to look at your notes. <laughs> dolphin bycatch. Yeah, yeah, a, it's very regular. Oh my very gosh! Regular. Oh my gosh! Um, well, I, I would love to pick your brain about that at some future date. <laughs> Thank you so much, Tanda. I really appreciate you taking time and talking about some difficult things. Um, I just want more people to know what's happening on the ground in Myanmar and you know we're talking about just one slice like one sector conservation sector um, and how it's been affected by this coup and there's obviously more serious issues but I think I, I really feel like the conservation community at least those of us based in the global north tend to be pretty naive about the realities facing our colleagues in other parts of the world so it's really important that you, you've shared some of your reality. So thank you. Thank you. Well, thank you for letting me speak. I don't know if I'm very coherent a lot of the time. <laughs> <laughs> I got a lot out of it. <laughs> cool. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, and take care. And um, I'm sure we'll be in touch about possible projects or just catching up on what you're doing at some point soon. All right, Thank bye. You. <laughs> Thank you. Jala he, doko baji e sen ko danwe na swen le, lu daro alo pyo swen se yarwe pe swane. ไสเตลดาโตเนอโซเทลไลปาเนอาลอเปมาโลตูกาเกวนายมาเดปาวอเจลลาปาลาโบเยดะลันโลกูมาเนดะปาวายเมโยเซตอปาโบเลบาวายเตยารีมิตินายมาสิ
เมนลงนาไดมินด์ตวยจินเลอจูไทนเต้นจาโซนากันมาเลเมนเวทวยเจโรเนลีสาวชาวเลเมนมีตาซุกญีโกมาวนมาไดมินเลอเวนเนตว